Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along. This is episode 469 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show, uh, we'll be finding out all about Monstersaurus. That's at the Litchfield Garrick very, very soon. So we'll be having a catch up with one of the cast of that show. It's a brilliant one for kids. It's absolutely fantastic. Also, we'll be meeting two of the cast of The Archers, the ongoing Radio 4 series. That's something to look forward to, having an ass with them. And auctioneer Philip Searle goes up with him as well as The Archers over at the Three Counties Showground at the weekend so we'll be hearing from them too we'll have music from Scott Gray fantastic performer some brilliant jazz that's coming up on the show Laura Liptrot lets us know about her latest production, so we'll be finding out from her what she's been up to and writing with a fantastic comedy on the way. And Sarah James is going to let us know about one of the events taking place as part of Arts Fest coming up towards the end of the month. But first of all, somebody's on a mission to save the country £560 million a year. Yes, it's our superhero, Susan Kalman. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Now, we're used to seeing you dancing on Strictly, being massively funny on TV and radio, but also, uh, you know a thing or two about smart meters these days too, don't you? Yes, I do. And um, it, it comes from a very personal experience of getting one, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I moved into a new house not that long ago, and uh, I decided to get on board and get a smart meter. Um, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I love it. It's, it's become a slight obsession with me. The temperature <laughs> of my thermostat and how much I'm spending on energy is... Uh, I'm such an interesting person. I've got a spreadsheet of how much I spend. It's brilliant. I like that. The that fly by. Sounds quite exciting, to be fair. So uh, there's you and uh, your good lady wife sharing a house. Now, do you have a competition to see who can use the least energy? So if you are out or working away, do you try and mm. decrease the amount of energy usage when that's happening? Absolutely. My wife often gloats that she spent, she spent far less than when I'm in the house. And when she comes home, she goes, why is it £2.50? I did £1.48. So it has become yet another source of marital strife as to who spends the least on gas and electric. <laughs> we have been together for 15 years, though, so you've got to have something to talk about, haven't you, after a while? It keeps things moving on and keeps that relationship fresh, particularly when yes, you know if you're on Economy 7 as well. Absolutely, yes. I mean, it's, I, I, I just genuinely, it's been one part of my uh, life that uh, I've never been able to control is how much I'm spending. And I like it. I like knowing how much I'm spending on things. So it's been a great addition to the family, I'd say. <laughs> so, uh, with the work that you do in comedy, I mean, do you think that uh, the two have, have kind of overlapped when it comes to uh, enjoying the smart meter? Uh, it, does it, has it become your friend? Do you tell it jokes? I mean, how, how do you interact with it, or is it mostly just pressing the buttons and looking at your spreadsheets? Oh, no, I mean, I keep it in the hall. It's in mm. the hall beside my pointless celebrities <laughs> trophy. Right, okay. Um, and uh, just beside the, the Strictly Glitter Ball I won on tour. So it sits there, and I look at it every time I go into the hall. And as I say, I've become slightly obsessed by seeing, because it updates in almost real time. <laughs> so I'm able to go around the house and see how much, you know, the cats put the kettle on. So <laughs> it is only two of us in the house, me and my wife, really, apart from the five cats. So there is only one other person to blame if the cost seems to be rising. So, But it's, it's good. It is. It's like having a wee nerdy best friend who tells me how much money I'm spending. Uh, but, but do you try and monitor the, the cat's usage as well, then? Do you know if they've been sitting in front of the electric fire and, and you calculate that out and deduct it from their allowance? Well, my, my wife and I are having a battle over the thermostat. It keeps being turned down, and my wife keeps blaming the cats for that. But I have a suspicion it's not the cats, because they can't reach that high up. 
So the cats are getting blamed for well, a lot of things, even though I don't think it's their fault. Five of them, they could stand back on each other's backs and maybe get to it. Yeah, the only thing is they don't have thumbs, so I'm not sure oh. quite how they're turning the dial properly, even if they stood on each other's shoulders. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's my wife who keeps turning the thermostat down. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that as, as there's the reason behind it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> With uh, this, though, I mean, it is a serious subject. We can save up to 560 million a year by using energy efficiently. And there's all sorts of yeah. apps and devices that we can get. So, so are you somebody who will, will like having uh, a, uh, not only the smart meter, but something to control the heating from your app in case you've accidentally left it switched on when you've gone out? Or, or if the hair straighteners are there, can you switch them off from your phone? Yeah, I mean, I haven't gone that far yet. It is something I quite fancy doing because uh, it, it does appeal to me to being able to do that. But I worry I'll become even more obsessed by everything because I do like apps and technology and things like that but I mean it doesn't need to be like that the bottom line is you get a wee meter with a pound sign next to it so you don't need to have apps you don't need to have technology because I know I mean it's quite it can be quite frightening for people thinking this is a huge technology based thing but actually what it is is just a box in your hole that's got pounds and pence on it and if you want to go the extra and get apps and things like that to control your heating you can but a smart meter just simply is a, a box that tells you how much money you're spending so it's actually very simple and what's yours called it must have a name well i haven't named it yet i, I, think, I haven't named it yet i think you I should is, is there a yeah, i must do that if there's a convention for naming the cats which i'm going to guess there is there must be a convention for naming your appliances no i haven't done that actually maybe i'll do that when i get home but no at the moment it's just it just sits in my hallway uh brightly telling me because it, it goes green, amber, and red. So when it goes red, it means they're spending too much electricity, and I find out what's going on. So you run around switching things off until it goes amber yes, or green absolutely, again? absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Okay, what are the essential appliances, and what is not going to get switched off, however much electric you're using? Um, well, my wife would say the PlayStation never gets switched off. That's, <laughs> uh, that's her best friend, so that'll never get switched off. Um, uh, it's probably the, probably the main thing that she always likes to have on, but... What we've certainly done is use our central heating a lot less um, than we used to. Because I used to have it on just because I wanted it to be nice and warm. But actually turning the thermostat down by a couple of degrees is saving us money every day. So, I mean, that's a tangible thing that we can see that the smart meter has done for us. Because you know you for your fashion sense as well. I should think there's a few jumpers in there which can be used instead of turning the heating off. Oh, yeah. I've got a, I've got a lovely collection of jumpers. Uh, a lovely collection of jumpers for my... Uh, they're going on. I mean, we've been lucky the past few weeks. It's been really nice weather in Glasgow. And, I mean, that's the that's the thing. I want to save a bit of money in the summer so that in the winter, if we have another bad winter, I'm not worrying about cash. Yep, and you have a bit of a splurge with the heating on and maybe dip into the red yeah. periodically just to make maybe, sure your toes are warm. Maybe, if we're treating ourselves. I, th- I think there could be another chart on that one as well, to be fair. That yeah, would be I think good. So, yeah. Well, what else is going on in your world at the moment? Then is there anything keeping you away from home, or are you keeping generally uh, busy uh, around home at the minute? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm uh, my second book comes out in September called Dancing for Joy, and uh, I've just got a new Channel Five travel show called Secret Scotland, and I'm on Channel Five again on Sunday with another show and the boss, my BBC quiz shows on every day just now, so lots and lots of stuff very busy, but that's the way I like it Yeah, you've got to keep paying for uh, the, uh, the the smart but meters usage for my gas and electricity, yeah. absolutely But only as much as you absolutely have to monitor it at home, yeah. enjoy the spreadsheet and uh, have, enjoy, enjoy it yes. Have a great time with everything you're doing Susan Cowan, thank you for joining us Thanks. Thank you, bye Don't take a tune from Scott Gray This is Maybe It's You
from Scott Gray here on the Milk Bar. On the 30th of June, Monstasaurus is on stage at the Garrick to tell us more about exactly what's going on. Natalie's on the line. Hello. Hello. So I'm intrigued. What What is all this about? So basically, the show is called Monstasaurus and it is um, based... Uh, the writers are Claire Friedman and Ben Court and they wrote the book Aliens Love Underpants. Now, I've seen that um, stage show. It is amazing. So this is going to be you? fab, isn't it? Oh, great. It is amazing. And I was also in that show as well. And it's very a very good show. So it's based on um, the, the same writers of that and the same director. And the show basically follows a young inventor called Monty. And he finds this magical book. And he decides to create some monsters um, oh. with the help of all uh, the children in the audience. Um, and he creates two, at first, kooky, uh, weird monsters called Dusty and Bogoblob. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he realises he doesn't know what to do with them, so he creates a mega monster, which is Monstasaurus, um, to sort them out. So, yeah. 
And the, I, I like I like a good documentary on stage, and this is one of those fab things that kids are going to just believe every moment of, aren't they? Yes, exactly. They get so involved in it, and especially because we basically give out ingredients at the beginning of the show to them. Um, they help create the monster. Wow. So they feel really involved in it. So when you know a monster first comes out, they are like, wow, like. I helped create that, and especially when Monstrosaurus comes out at the end, who is, is a big, a big monster. Um, they are, yeah, they're totally there with it, which is great. Well, this is Saturday, the 30th of June, 11:30 a.m. and 2 p.m. It's a 50-minute yeah, show, uh, suitable for those aged three and above. That includes moms, dads, aunties, uncles, and everybody else as well. And it's going to be uh, something that's, that's the right length for the kids. It's going to have great entertain span because there's going to be stuff happening all the time and there must be some favorite moments in the show for you already you said the kids love it when monstersaurus appears but what do you enjoy best i think the kid i mean the kids love uh, a raspberry so <laughs> one of the monsters um does a lot of uh, raspberry noises and they go absolutely bananas for it but i think i think just the smoke at the beginning sort of sets it all for them and uh, and they the, the monsters sort of come out from the table sort of out of nowhere um and that, that's a real surprise for them so i think i think that's a lovely moment definitely yeah and it has the look of the book as well so if they know the story it's going to bring exactly. everything to life yeah it, it is taken from the story so all the ingredients are the same the monsters are the same so if they've got the book they'll They'll be totally there with it. And we, we have often kids at the beginning telling us what ingredients is for what monster. They know it that well, so it's lovely. Well, it sounds like it's going to be absolutely magical. The box office can be got on 01543 412121. That's 01543 412121. com. the website. Tickets are £14 for adults, £12 for children, and you can book those, as we say, on those numbers. Saturday the 30th of June, two times. Work out the one is the best for you around your shopping, 11.30 and 2pm. And get along and see an absolutely brilliant show. Natalie, thank you for joining us. Ah, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Let's take some more music from Scott Gray now. This is Raincoats. I walked into my house from a rainy day And almost slipped out of my Burberry raincoat When my telephone rang It was sweet, Elaine, and she said I'm so glad you're down the street from me I need you, I can't deny she's worth the waiting for, like sunshine. She's the one that makes me smile. And I know deep down that one day she is gonna be mine. So I left my A couple of puddles on my way I scaled up her steps in time Just to hear her say That she was running out the door To meet a date But her Christian Dior Couldn't zip by itself So I helped her I can't deny she's worth And I know deep 
Raincoats here on the Milk Bar. More from him a little bit later on. Artsfest is ongoing and there's lots of great events coming up. One of those is on the 28th of June. It is an unconventional history of maidenhood, mothering and mistresses. Uh, to tell us more, we have Sarah on the line. Sarah James. Hello. Hello. How are we doing? We're doing fine. Looking forward to it already. Okay, so give us a bit of the, uh, the, the background to this tale because you're working with co-writers, aren't you? Yeah, there's three of us. Katie Ware and Morris. Ruth, Stacey and myself, we're all poets, writing other genres as well, but we're all poets, um, and it's a reading, a themed reading, if you like, drawing on history, literature and art, um, which we use in our poems, and narratives about women's roles and experience in society, both now and historically going back. The times have changed, and in some ways there were things in the past which uh, had, had allowed women to be more empowered and equal then than they are now, and certainly significantly more, vice versa. I'm hoping that's how you feel it is anyway. But uh, it's uh, interesting the way in which roles have changed when women have actually pretty much stayed the same. Yeah, well, we all evolve, don't we? And society evolves, I think that's mm-hmm. the thing, whether it evolves for the better or worse or some aspects that are better and some aspects that aren't. Um, yeah, I mean, we draw on lots of... It's not, It's unconventional. It's not, you know, we're not going to be going, and in 1900 this, in 1901 that. Um, it's simply that we draw on history and the contrast between past and present within the work that we've produced. 
Um, so it's you know, things from the Garden of Eden with all the stereotypes in there. Um, Ruth Stacey's uh, latest, um, well, not her latest collection, her collection, The Queen Jewel Mistress, um, is very much focused around the different English queens and their experiences and based on research, but also fictional, obviously, um, in the context of how writing was at that time as well with the poetry. Um, and she and um, Katie also have a what's a, a poetry duet, a pamphlet where they both in the same, rather than a solo one author book, where they're both in the same book writing on similar themes in which they've deliberately chosen to contrast the two perspectives, one writing about contemporary motherhood and the other historically. And I draw on things like um, literary mistresses, painters, muses, that kind of inspiration in my work. And a lot of the uh, people behind other people so uh, it, 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 in in the past a, a mistress might have been there pretty much helping coordinate control and make someone's world work and give them the fame and abilities that they uh, they actually uh, are known for yeah it was, it was the the mistress who was doing the, the bulk of the real legwork behind the scenes yeah i mean it, you know, each case is individual isn't mm-hmm. it but yeah and also of course you're going back and you're trying to fill in the gaps and give voices to characters that didn't have their own voices at the time and weren't necessarily given voices by historians of the time as well. It's quite a fascinating process if you if you go into that. And this um, is the problem with history, isn't it? It's, it's about who wrote it down, not necessarily about what happens sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I used to be a journalist as well, and there is a certain element of so-and-so says this and so-and-so said that, if you know what I mean, who says what rather than what actually fact but sometimes then we don't let facts get in the way of a good story, which is uh, essential. And uh, it does mean <laughs> that you can, you can explore these characters and have some good fun with it as well. And it's going to have a serious side, but I assume there is some, some both humour, some love, some drama, some stories in there, and it'll touch on absolutely all aspects of life. Yeah, modern mothering, marriage, language. There's a lot of language play in it as well. Lust, love, lifestyles. I think that's the beauty of doing it in poetry rather than as history or as journalism, if you like. There is factual research there, but, yeah, we can tell a good yarn. <laughs> that's the way we like Poetic it. Sounds license. Like, yeah, exactly. As poets, you, I think you have the, the license to thrill with that, don't you? Absolutely. It does the job and for me. enjoy it. Uh, well, yeah, and, and it is about having fun. An arts fest is well suited to this sort of thing because it does give uh, a, a platform to, to something which may not always be uh, picked up on or have been uh, brought to uh, the stage in an area. This gives uh, a good opportunity to get something that's a, it's a bit more across the board and something that takes a very different look on life. Yeah, and it's a good year, I think, for it as well because there has been that much more of Me Too and that more emphasis on women's experiences and women's rights to voice that and to share that with people uh, which is important so yeah it feels a good time to be doing it and a good venue to be doing it as well yeah so where are you performing we are performing in this is when you get me and i'll pronounce it wrong tilestone tilstone yeah I think it's still stunned. You could be right, I could be wrong, who knows here. But <laughs> everyone has different pronunciations on their names. So uh, it's uh, a, a great uh, space as well because you are close to the audience and you can feel their oohs, ahs, the gasps and their understanding and it'll click when they hear something and they know 
the story and they get and they identify with the character, they'll be able to, to express that to you just through the whole atmosphere in the venue. So that's going to really work. And we are actually offering afterwards, because we'll have books there which, which people can get and, and we can be happy to sign that and, and talk informally. But as part of the actual event, we are also offering like a question and answer session at the end. So if people have got questions, whether that be about what they've just heard, whether that be about writing or reading more generally, poetry more generally, they'll have the opportunity to ask those then as well. So a good opportunity. Tickets 01902 321321 or arena.wlv.ac.uk or just look on the ArtsFest part of the website, wlv.ac.uk forward slash ArtsFest. You can find out all the details on there. But worth getting yourself along for an unconventional history of maidenhood, mothering and mistresses with Sarah James, Katie Warren Morris and Ruth Stacey as well. So uh, good luck to the gang and uh, we look forward to having you in the city on the uh, 28th of June. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Time for another tune. Scott Gray is back. This is She Remains. She left Chanel 5 Lingering on my skin From an improvised rendezvous last night Goodbye in form of a single kiss But will I see her again? I'm not one fit to be tied Now she remains here Like she made herself home down in of herself tangled inside of me as I lie awake to quarter past three
Scott Gray and Shirley Maines here on the Milk Bar. Down here at the Royal Three County Show at the Malvern Showground, it's been 60 years since the showground opened. For a fair few decades, The Archers has been on air on Radio 4, and I have two of the cast who are down here with me today. And in, in, in the fluttering breeze, we have uh, trees moving around, which is quite exciting. <laughs> but you're in the real outdoors, you have Felicity Finch and Kim Durham. Hello to you both. Hello. Great to be here. Oh, yeah, and uh, out of, of Borchester into Worcestershire, and uh, the, the, the joys of uh, a show which very much reflects a sort of country life that you guys enjoy Absolutely. on the radio. Absolutely. So tell us, uh, first of all, a, a bit about your two characters, because obviously you've been there over 30 years as Ruth yeah, now, haven't you, Ruth Archer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ruth's very down-to-earth, determined, strong-minded, direct, still very sensitive as well as all those things. Very forthright, knows her mind. I suppose it's that word that one can't get away from sometimes, feisty. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she's a great woman. Is that, does that make it fun to play though? Yeah, she's a, she's been through a lot in her life, both before Ambridge life and when she she's always a she's from the northeast. So when she came to Ambridge, she's very much still even after 30 years, you're still an incomer. Mm-hmm. Even though I've been married for many years to David Archer and have three children, um, but there's lots of you know lots of life experiences that have happened from breast cancer to. Um, you know, having to care for her mother in her old age, uh, to an almost affair at one point, to and then there's of course the farming background where there's lots of changes on Brookfield, where most recently they've introduced the New Zealand farming system. So we're constantly in the farming, you know, hopefully reflecting what's happening in the farming world as as well. And, and did you know much about farming before you joined the series? <laughs> well, no, I didn't. But but funnily enough, you know, I actually I said I come from the northeast, and I do remember as a child as going on holiday to a farm Mm -hmm. twice when I was very young Um, and I remember really loving it and getting up really early in the morning can you believe it to go and watch the milking being done and here you know and then my life becomes milking cows in Ambridge which is really funny so I didn't but you know you sort of there's no doubt that over the years you assimilate and try to you know sort of uh, remember and be as authentic as you can within the scenes that involves farming mm-hmm. and you can't help but pick up a lot along the way and be interested very much interested in what's going on in the farming world i think a lot of the members of the public now indeed are very interested because there's that thing we all care a lot more about what's on our plate mm-hmm. and the osh is, is a great way to from. approach all this as well isn't it it, it, it brings some real life stuff there and uh, i mean Kim, we'll, we'll come to the, the world of matt in a bit because he's a little more away from farming but uh, uh, when it comes down to big news stories you guys suddenly find yourself at a re-record don't you somebody uh, come in if there's something going on in parliament as well yeah i mean you've been collected to farming particularly yeah. Yes, I mean, we do what are called topical inserts, and it's, you know, we can do it on radio, 
much more effectively than they can't even think about it doing it in telescopes. But Continuity radio, is easier. Yeah, we can actually, they, they'll, they'll realise something big has happened or is going to happen and they'll then look at the scenes that have already been recorded for that day because we record a month in advance mm-hmm. and they'll see which scene could be slightly altered or rewritten, see if the actors are available, whiz them to Birmingham, re-record that scene and then it'll go into the programme that night or the next day possibly. And it's great to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So whenever you know there is anything that... I mean, foot and mouth was a, an example yeah. of that, that constantly there were topical inserts happening connected to that. But I'm sure if there's, if there's ever any big votes connected to you know, Brexit or what's happening in, um, in subsidies, and, and if there's something that's really big that's happening in the farming world, yes, we will be able to reflect it straight away. That's quite, and that makes it quite exciting. So, Kim, uh, Matt and uh, his shenanigans, he's a, a bit of a bad boy. How long has Matt been on the scene? He's been in it. I was quite surprised when I discovered this. He's been in it actually 20 years. Oh, um, and he was brought in in the 90s uh, when suddenly uh, agricultural land was becoming an interesting investment mm. for city boys. So Matt's a city boy uh, who has no intrinsic interest <laughs> in, in, in the country at all. Apart from the money that's apart, out there. Apart from the money side of things. So he was brought in a very much when uh, there were people coming in to uh, buy farming land who were interested in it purely as an investment. And, and that's how he started off and then wheedled his way into Ambridge life by getting together with Lillian. Um, all got a bit pear-shaped now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so but he's off in Ecuador at the moment because there's no extradition from Ecuador. Uh-huh. So him, and Julie, <laughs> him and Julian Assange, really. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, again, they can have a bit of fun with these stories as well. Yeah. And this is the joy of being a soap because all the things that happen, you wouldn't get it all in one go in, in, a, in a lifetime, even, even in the archers. So you must in, enjoy that side of it. But uh, any particular highlights in your 20 years and you're just over 30? For me, um, what was always a pleasure with playing Matt is because he could be really bad. He could do some terrible things. And there'd always be something largely to do with Lillian to slightly redeem him. So you could play the two sides off against... And and Sonny, uh, who plays Lillian and myself, had a lot of fun over the years with our ageing sexual activity. It's okay. quite a good thing. And the Archers is very good yeah. for the older sex life. <laughs> Plus it means it's a wireless, so we don't have to see anything that we maybe don't want to. So that's all good. And, uh, and for, for Ruth in her role, is there anything there that's uh, been you know, exciting, fun, and maybe a bit different to the norm? I think that... You know, the contrast of some of the major storylines that Ruth's been interested in, I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, a, a, um, a story like the breast cancer storyline to, to really research for yourself as an actor um, what different women have gone through mm-hmm. and then to get to play in real time. The Archers is very good at... Um, being able to do stories like that in the time that it would really take in real life. So if it takes eight months to recover or whatever it is, then they will. it will take eight months to recover. They don't feel they have to speed those things up. But I think in contra- complete contrast to that is was the almost affair, I call it, with Sam Batten. Mm-hmm. And, and the reasons, I mean, I think what is interesting is working with another, with, you know, Tim Benting, who plays David Archer, and how much one t- can take it personally, I think he particularly, of why Ruth would have that affair. Mm-hmm. Um, and he felt it wasn't justified, and I felt it very much was, and could find the reasons why that happened through him not 
you know, caring enough for her, not realising that she was very low in self-esteem post having had a mastectomy. And so all the sort of, the different layers of a story like that, it's very exciting and interesting to play. And the very fact that, you know, that in the end she didn't actually... Um, it didn't we're going back to the sex thing didn't actually <laughs> develop a physical relationship with him so uh, but and so it, it's but it was allowed it, to play out in real time mm-hmm. yes. which is the great thing about yeah. drama. yes so I think it's things like but actually to be honest it's difficult I don't think of it in terms of highlights because it's it's that every day you know or every month we record a few days a month of if it's growing old with the character actually <laughs> and what it is to to very much aware of what's happened to Ruth over those 30 years it's it's not just those big dramatic sort of stories it's 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 the everyday mm-hmm. of being in a village with your kids and um, what happens to them I mean my daughter now is about to have a baby well one never thought I, I remember when Pip was born so well, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it, it is very much the everyday and hopefully reflecting what's happening in people's lives around the country mm-hmm. is being reflected in Archer's life yeah, but typical people. It wasn't straightforward even then, was no, it? No, it couldn't be straightforward. <laughs> and what on earth's going to happen with you know her Toby, the the father of the child? I mean, that is what's interesting. Also, is none of us know. The people that run the arch at the moment will not know what will happen eventually with with Toby being the father. Will he become? You know, will he uh, will he end up um, being a, a really good father? Will they ever get together? Will they won't get together? You know, what happens in five years' time, ten years' time? How long will the program? You know, it's sort of the program is bigger than the people making it almost. Yeah. Of its momentum of what goes on over the next. Hopefully, it will survive, and somebody will be here interviewing whoever. In the end of the fifty years' time, yeah, and yeah, then see how. Yeah. It's gone from there. Well, it, is, it is an institution. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Time for another one from Scott Gray. Another brilliant jazz tune. This is captured here on the Milk Bar. You said your love is deeper than oceans. I'm the only one. Now I feel the tide turning. You're drifting far away from us And I can tell you've been captured by another But don't let this in before you've been captured by me again Fading from your eyes And I can tell You've been captured By another But don't let this end For you've been captured By me again Some wine moving closer to keep 
kiss your mouth later on by break of dawn you'll be mine no doubt now i can't tell you've been captured by another but don't let this end before you've been captured Captured from Scott Gray here on the Milk Bar. The Laura Liptrot is always up to something, and she's back on with another show. It's in Stourbridge on the 22nd and 23rd of June. To tell us more, here she is. Hello. Hello. So what's Hi. going on then? What are you up to this time? Um, so it's a play called First Aid. Um, it's my first full-length play. Well, first with more than two characters, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called First Aid. It's about a first aid course. And it's just about a, a bunch of people who are complete strangers. They come together on this course that none of them really want to be on. Um, and their person- personalities clash. They find out that some of them are involved in each other's past. You know, they've got mutual friends or mutual enemies. Um, it's it's very much a comedy drama. The the comedy comes from kind of the slapstick element of the, the, the teacher banging his head against a brick wall trying to get some information into their heads and the... They work on a, a first aid dummy and the head falls off and they tie <laughs> each other up in bandages and things like that. And then the drama comes from the relationships between them and how, as I said, they, they argue and some of them um, are helped by other people. There's a, there's a school girl who um, has trouble with her mother and she's helped by this by this primary school teacher that she's only met this day who talks to her properly. Um, yeah, and things like that. It's, 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 a, it's just a comedy drama. It's, um, it's suitable for all ages. Yeah, it's a bit slapstick, quite wordy, light drama comedy. But it sounds like yeah. good fun. So it's on the 22nd and 23rd of June. That's a Friday night at half past seven and a Saturday matinee at half two and then a Saturday evening show at half past seven as well. And it's taking place at the Gig Mill Church Hall. That's on Whitton Street in Stairbridge. So nice and simple to get along to. And your, your cast must be having a great time uh, in rehearsals on this one, <laughs> bandaging each other up. Oh yes, well, um, Dad's only re- uh, my Dad's the director. Uh-huh. Um, he's only recently revealed to the actors that we're not using the bandages until sort of the last couple of rehearsals. So it's the the actors will be as new to the, using the bandages as the characters are. So we're hoping oh, a lot of comedy is going to come from that. I think that works well, and uh, yeah, it, it, with the group that you've got there, a comedy theatre group. They are yes. used to a bit of uh, ad-libbing and improvisation anyway, so I think that will uh, help them around the script, won't it? Yes, definitely. It's always a lot of fun, all the ad-libbing when things go wrong. And the lovely thing about this play is it's, um, although the words are important, so you can't maybe ad-lib as much as in a panto, it is a little bit pantomimic in that the more that goes wrong, if you can stay in character and make it look like it's meant to go wrong, then it's even funnier. Because it's, it's, as I say, very farcical, very slapstick in places. Yeah, You're having a good time with this one, I can tell. It's only three quid to get in, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, 
three quid for everyone. There's no, there's no concessions or anything, so it's just three quid for everyone. I don't know, you, you can't concess at three pounds. If you, you'd be letting them in, uh, you'd, be, you'd be paying them to turn up, which isn't going to be necessary because <laughs> it's going to be such a good fun time. So, uh, what prompted you to write this one? Have you been on a particularly weird first aid course with a dispirited DJ and it didn't quite go as to plan? <laughs> yes, it, it was. Um, I went on a first aid course and the I was I was very bored for the five hours with all these continuous slideshows and everything. And I thought, I've got to make this worthwhile in some way. And I, I, there were so many strange people there. And I thought, you've just got to write this as a play. This this setting, that, um, that, that element of they're trapped there, they don't want to be there. And so the comedy comes from their irritation and their frustration. Yeah, I was just sitting there watching this. This is the perfect setting for a play. Well, and then you... a lot of the characters are actually based on people in the group, so it's yeah. what they would be like on a first aid course. <laughs> okay, so you've you've utilised some of the people you know and and have around you. You've got this uh, this whole yeah. situation, and you've got a large number of bandages. We won't ask why you have those. So it's going <laughs> to be a good show. So uh, get yourself along there. A comedy theatre group at hotmail.co.uk to uh, get in touch, or you're on Facebook and YouTube as well if you want to find out more. But they can actually book tickets by calling the box office as well, can't they? Yep, so it's um you can call the mobile O seven nine five four six nine two five nine three or you can call the landline O one three eight four eight two four Okay, so those yep. numbers again. The landline 01384 824 in case you were partway through writing that one down. Or the mobile 07954 692 593. And uh, it's all, as we say, taking place on the 22nd and 23rd of June, 7.30 both evenings and a 2.30 matinee on the Saturday because it's a Friday and Saturday. Yep. It's all going on at the Gigmill Methodist Church Hall. That's Whitten Street, Stourbridge, DY8 3YG. But worth getting yourself down there and having a bit of a giggle around an interesting subject and it's, it's about people watching which is what most things are, that are funny in life are and I think it sounds like it's uh, yes. going to be well worth seeing on stage Laura Littrop thanks for joining us <laughs> thank, you. thank you time for one final song from Scott Gray now this is Sunday I walk alone Autumn Central Park with people falling in love. They pass me by and they remind me that my time is yet to come. Somewhere I'll find you. Sometime, someday At least that's what my friends say Sky, and hope that you 
Scott Gray with Sunday here on the Milk Bar. Don't forget, if you want more information on him, all you've got to do is go along to his website, scottgraymusic.com. You can find him on iTunes as well and uh, have a little listen to all of his work there. He's on Spotify, the lot. You can catch up with him. Great performer. We hope to speak to him in a couple of weeks' time, so we'll catch up with him soon. So here we are at the Three Counties Showground. It's the Royal Three Counties Show. Philip Serrell, Malvern Auctioneer is down here. Absolutely right. And uh, it must be great to be on home turf and still getting the chance to talk about all the telly stuff and everything. It's pretty rubbish on the travelling expense. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's lovely to be here, you know, and um, it's funny because I first came to this show back in the 60s -hmm. and um, it's just, it's evolved and it's just got, it's just got bigger and better. And when you're down here, obviously you're seeing loads of great stalls, but it's also the home of some of the flea markets and the antique shows as well. And I'm sure Bargain Hunt's been down here and they've done a bit of collecting and then come on to you to sell the goodies. Well, it's also interesting, you know, I started doing television in 1999 Mm -hmm. and the very first Bargain Hunt that we recorded was here in 1999 with David Dickinson. 
And I remember David saying to me, do you know what? I don't think he's ever going to work these antique programs. <laughs> <laughs> how, many, were, how many years later? Uh, how here many we thousand are. shows? I think we're on series 53 of Bargain. Wow. Now. Yeah. So it's great. I mean, I love it. And I'm very, very lucky to do them. And when you, you know, moving around with the the, the goods that, that you see, uh, it must be interesting because you'll see some stuff and think, no, no, that's never going to sell. And things that aren't real antiques. But there's the obvious bits of gold and stuff which turn up across the years. And uh, I've got to ask, any favourite items that you've seen to go do really well, whether it's under the hammer for yourself or when you've been an expert for them? Uh, I mean, I, we, we sold a painting by a man called Arnsby Brown. Uh, I think he made ten or eleven thousand pounds. That wow. was for a Flog It program. Yeah. And it was a painting that I fell in love with. But, mm-hmm. you know, when, when we're doing television, we're not allowed to buy things for ourselves, and, uh, which is a good job because I probably couldn't afford it anyway. <laughs> but, um, but it was a lovely thing. And I think that's the thing that I always say to everybody who comes on the television with me, you know, go and try and buy things that you like and love. You know, the money, I won't say the money's irrelevant, but you, if you, you've got to live with it, mm-hmm. you've got to love it. Yep. So just buy what you enjoy. Buy with your heart. Pay with, yeah. buy, buy with your heart, pay with your head. That's the answer. But do you get tempted to uh, pick up things when you're out, actually also out on, on some of these shows? Obviously, the, the guys are buying what they want, but if there's a you know, no, the bonus no. buy to be had, you think, hang on, oh, that's the bonus buy, but I quite like the look of that. No, 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 you can't do that. I mean, because I'm working for the BBC, yeah, so, so I spend a day, but I buy things for myself, yeah. and I just like things. I love the social history of stuff, you know, so I like things that tell a story, how life's evolved, how times have evolved. And, you know, for me, that's, that's, that's more important to the object. But, but where the world's changed now, whereas, I mean, I've been doing this now for <coughs> years, you know, <laughs> and when I started, you sold antiques. Mm-hmm. Now you sell a look. And it's seriously, you know, people buy into a particular look. And, and, you, and so you don't just buy a single item. You, you, you're buying into a look and, and people are decorating their houses and I think people have become much, much more discerning and I also think that, you know, when I started antiques were seen of the preserve of wealthy people and antique dealers and that was really down to um, the Antiques Roadshow which is still, you know, a great, fantastic programme but I think that the, the programmes that I do They've made antiques accessible to more and more and more people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's fantastic. And, and antiques have kind of moved on, because we're talking the 90s. Something which was a little bit old then is now quite a lot older. Well, it's the way it goes. And uh, it, it, how, how have things changed on what is desirable? Because I mean, we see a lot of toys and things come up for grabs. Well, let me just tell you this, right? I can remember in 1960-something or other, Christmas, saving up all my pennies, and I bought my parents a sparklet soda siphon for Christmas right yeah and I can remember doing a bargain and earlier in the year where the people wanted to buy a sparklet soda siphon because it was vintage and retro and I tell you what that is an incredibly aging process but it, it just means that you've you've aged better than the antiques in well, question very kind of you I'm not too sure this is this is called patina <laughs> <laughs> great meeting up with you have a great time down here at Malvern today well, you too and uh, and you know keep doing the great things on TV because we love all the opinion that can we can I see. just say one last thing go on up the walls I love the walls great great team best team in the land fantastic we look forward to getting you out of Molyneux sometime in the future. I'll be there. That's a lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Back with episode 470 next week. I'll see you then. Ta-ra for now. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.